buddies, <clears throat> check, check. Just making sure this is on so we don't leave the poor online people out of it again. They, they, uh, they really don't like that. Okay. Hello. I just want to share a piece of scripture with you guys this morning. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's a reminder that, uh, that that amazing grace, that, that we were wretches when we were saved, completely undeserving of that grace. And even after, in our weakness, in our inability, God's grace shines through, his power shines through in our inability. So good morning, Northgate. My name's Garrett. I'm uh, the youth pastor here, and I have some announcements for you guys, some things you should probably check into your calendar. Um, before we get going on that, if you check your bulletin, there's a QR code. You'll see the little square dealy with a bunch of little squares in it. Uh, with that, you can take a picture with your phone. Most phones will take that, and we'll send you to our uh, website, in which we have a Connect card. You can ask us uh, or send us prayer requests, ask for um, information on any of the other ministries happening here. And, uh, or you could just go to the website at northgatebaptist.ca and get that information there. If your phone doesn't work on the QR code, then uh, there's ways to do it. Uh, ask your grandkids. <clears throat> the Family Matters meeting is coming up. That's this week, uh, January 19th at 7 p.m., uh, they'll be voting on the budget. Uh, there's copies of the budget by the office. If you need to take a look at that, if you have any questions about the budget, you can ask a board member. Uh, that's all I need to say about that. Baptism and membership classes, we're starting up a few of those. If you, um, if you want more information on that, you can talk to Pastor uh, Mark Barrett. Um, if you look in the calendar or check the website, you'll see January 30th and February 6th are the days in which that is happening. And again, go to the website or you can contact Pastor Mark Barrett. You may have seen an insert in your bulletins. Uh, there's some information you can get on missionaries. You can get their newsletters, that sort of thing. Please pray for our missionaries uh, that you see in the bulletin there. And if you are wanting more information, you can fill out the insert to get more on that. Okay, we're halfway through, guys. Online survey. If you did not see the survey online, you've missed your chance. Well, I think there's still, I don't know. There's hard copies out there as you're walking in, blue pieces of paper. You can fill those out if you didn't get around to answering the online survey. There's a lost and found table out there. Um, there's not much left. There's slim pickings, so get out there and see what you, we're donating this stuff in like two weeks. So if you are missing something, go for it. Um, I don't want to encourage uh, lost and found shopping, but uh, there's some okay things out there. Uh, Kingdom Kids, Rod's in the fellowship hall waiting for you. You are dismissed. Yes, so exciting. Wow. Yeah, Uncle Rod's pretty great. Some of us wish we could probably spend the rest of the time out there. Um, well, that's it for announcements. Allow me to pray as we uh, continue on this morning. God, we, uh, 
we come before you this morning. We thank you uh, for that amazing grace, God, that you, um, you would save completely undeserving wretches like us. God, I pray that uh, as Mark comes up to preach from your word this morning, God, that we would be, uh, you'd give us the ability to be attentive, that not only would it enter our ears um, in our hearts and our minds, but it would transform those. Uh, God, that it would make us, uh, you would transform us to make us more like you. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, Garrett. I think the sermon actually has fewer points than the announcements did this morning. (laughs) It's a lot to go through. Good morning. Welcome. Whether you're joining us in person or whether you are online, we just uh, want to extend our greetings to you. I just ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. Um, This is our second sermon, second part part two of our series. uh, As we begin looking at this letter of 1 John that John wrote uh, to the churches in Asia Minor. And as you're turning there, no, we'll be building on uh, what we talked about last time. The Apostle John uh, is writing this letter to combat false teachings uh, that were creeping into the church. Uh, but even more than just that, John's intent is not just to expose falsehoods. Uh, John really also wants the church just to develop a foundation of truth so that believers have that in their lives so that they can be living lives of truth. Because uh, again, false teachers may be a problem for many churches in many places at one time or another, but Christian living is something for every believer in every place at all times. Uh, and that's why we need the truth John is talking about in our passage this morning. And that's really what he's focusing on. Uh, so if you'll join me as we read together, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10 will be our passage this morning. And he writes this, This is the message. We have heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to this passage, um, I guess I I want to ask you to prepare our hearts. Uh, Lord, that even now you would search us. That Lord... If there's any distraction, if there's any hindrance, if there's anything in our life that will push back against this truth as it's preached, if there's any sin, that, Lord, we would confess it and deal with it, give it to you, so that, Lord, you and your Holy Spirit might have just reign in our lives at this time as we listen to this word. I pray that, Lord, you would lead us into truth, that, Lord, uh, you'd be high and lifted up and glorified by the truth that is proclaimed this morning, and that, Lord, in all things, Um, what we hear this morning would help us as believers to walk in the light of truth um, all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, someone once sort of rather simplicity, simply wrote something I kind of always liked. And he said, as you go through the Bible, you realize that the Bible is, among other things, a list of great walks. Uh, there is the walk of Adam and Eve in, in the Garden of Eden as they walked with God. There's Abraham's journey you know, out of the east into the land of Canaan. There's Moses, you know, walk in the desert with the people of Israel and the, you know, the, the journey across the dry land of the Red Sea as they escape from Egypt. There's Joshua walking around the city of Jericho. There's Judah's, you know, walk into captivity in Babylon and then back again. You have Paul's walks as he went on missionary journeys all through the book of Acts. And maybe most importantly, we have Jesus' walk, you know, from his, you know, well, from his birth and his baptism to the cross and beyond. But there's one more walk in the Bible that the Bible talks about quite a bit that is probably the most important of all. And that is the walk that each and every one of us has to take with Christ. Because that's what John has actually in mind as he writes this passage. He's using that imagery. Uh, in fact, the imagery of walking uh, is one of John's favorite ways to pro pro portray Christian living, the Christian life. Uh, that's how John uses this word walking. Uh, he says, well, the way you walk is a, way, is a reflection of the way that you live. And it's not just an idea that's unique to the book of 1 John. Uh, John writes in 2 John chapter, uh, verse 4, he says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And again, one of my favorite verses, uh, 3 John 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Um, walking is the way that we live. And as a pastor, I can relate to John's words here. You know, there's really no greater joy as a church leader than to see people walking and growing and just living out their faith. But in order to properly walk that walk of faith, we, we also need to be properly prepared. Uh, just like if you were going to go on a hike, uh, you would want good pair of shoes, probably lots of bug spray, you know, maybe a good map or a hiking guide so you know what you're doing. Uh, you got to be prepared to walk. And in the same way, in our walk of faith, we need to make some proper preparations if we want to walk well. And the biggest preparation we need to have is making sure we are walking on a firm foundation or the right foundation. Um, Jesus even says, Matthew 7, beginning verse 24, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and, the, the, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And as you walk, I don't know if you've ever tried to walk on sand, but it's terrible. It's awful stuff to walk on. And to walk well, you need that firm, sure foundation, a solid foundation, a foundation of truth. Um, and truth Truth was an idea that was very important to the Apostle John. Uh, actually, one of the commentaries I read this week said something I never knew before. Half of the words, when the New Testament uses the word truth, half of the times it's John using them in one of his writings. Truth was so important to John. He talked about it all the time. And that's why John really kind of, he roots and just establishes this letter of 1 John in truth. In fact, there's two essential truths of God that I think he, he really wants to highlight. You can almost look at these. Some people 
See, these are the book divisions or how they kind of divide up the outline of the book. But there's two truths that, God, uh, that John really hits. The first is that God is light, which he talks about in 1 John 1, verse 5. And the second is God is love. And that's 1 John 4, verse 8. And we'll talk about that other one, the God is love. Uh, that'll be, there will be lots of sermons to come on that looking as we go through the book of 1 John. But for now, we focus on this idea of that God is light, walking in the light. What does that mean? Well, again, light, that God is light, is one of John's favorite descriptions, ways to describe God. Uh, he even begins his own gospel, the gospel of John, in chapter 1 with the words of Jesus in verse 4. He says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. God is light. Uh, and we see that idea all through John's writings. Uh, of course, it shouldn't come as a surprise because it's not just John, again, uh, who uses that kind of description about God. Light is used all through the Bible to describe God. Think about the first, you know, commandment in Genesis 1.1. God created the universe. He said, let there be light. When God appeared to Moses, he appeared as a burning bush. When God led Israel through the desert, he did it as a pillar of fire, you know, to light the night. When they built the tabernacle, they built lampstands to shine, to represent the presence of God as light. Psalm 104, verses 1 and 2 says about God, You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a garment. Luke 2, verses 31 and 32 says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, and you have prepared the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Isaiah, in talking about Jesus, says the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. Paul even uses this language. 2 Corinthians 4, uh, beginning of verse 6, he says, For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And in John 8, 12, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So John doesn't come up with this imagery on his own. He takes it right from Jesus himself. And I could go on. There's dozens more examples. Uh, but the fact should be plain. God is light. And when the Bible says that, and when John says that, when he uses that imagery, when he uses that description that God is light, one of the things he's implying by that is that if God is light, that means God is truth. Because truth and life, they just they go together hand in hand. Uh, John Piper comments on this verse saying, in other words, God is light means that God is the source and the measure of all that is true. Because one thing light does is light reveals. Light reveals what is true. Um, there's a great little tale from back in the days before electricity. There's this tight-fisted old farmer who was talking, taking his hired man to task because he was carrying a lantern and he was worried about all the wasted oil. But this guy was carrying a lantern as he's going to sort of call on his best girl. And the old farmer's like, why do you do that? When I went to court and I never took a lantern, I saved the money and, you know, you know I always went in the dark. And the hired man said, yeah, but look what you got. Like, this is, I've seen your wife. Oh, because light reveals what's true. 
and God is light. And in this passage, John is pointing to that truth. And he's pointing us to the fact that God is truth, that, that in light, God is light, God is truth. And there's a couple of things about God's truth that he actually reveals to us in this passage that I think we need to know. And most of these will be pretty quick, but I think they're all fairly important. And first, we learn that the source of God's truth is God himself. Uh, John writes in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. The truth that John proclaimed is one that came from God himself and from the words of Jesus himself. This is not truth that, you know, John made up on his own. It wasn't something that, you know, he imagined in a dream he had. It wasn't something he came up with after taking a poll, you know, of public opinion about what should be. And just as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For we did not, devolve, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you about the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. John says it, Peter says it, say, we get this truth right from God, right from Jesus himself. And that was a claim the false teachers that John was dealing with, they couldn't make. You know, they just made up their own truth, which made it a lie. But God's truth has its source in God himself. And that's, again, why we hold so tightly to the Bible. The Bible is God's truth, and God's truth is truth, and nothing changes that. That's a firm foundation. Get your truth straight from God and his word. And the second thing we learn about truth is that truth is essential to our fellowship with God. Uh, in verse 6, John says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. You know, if you're going to walk with God, you need to walk in the light. You need to walk in truth. You cannot reject God's truth and still think that you can walk in harmony with him. You cannot embrace lies and still have a healthy relationship with the Lord. We cannot walk in darkness and expect fellowship with God who is light. Our relationship with God is based on holding fast to the truth of God and walking in that truth. Then the third thing we also learn about truth is that truth is essential to our relationship with one another as well. Verse 7, John says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. I like how one book put it. It says, walking in the light is the only way that we can walk with one another in community. As believers, what brings us together in true fellowship is, is, is our relationship with Christ. And that means in many ways it is, it is the truth and the truth of, truth of Christ that unites us. Our community should be established in truth. And that matters because on the flip side, lies divide. You know, how f watch how fast a community is torn apart when there's no foundation of truth, where there's no foundation of trust for one another. As a church, we share the truth of Jesus Christ in common. We are community rooted in truth. And that's where our fellowship begins. If you want to build a true community of believers, you need to begin with Christ and the truth of who he is and live in truth. But John will have more to say about that at other because he talked a lot about the importance of community in this letter. It's so important to him. But then we move on to our fourth thing. The fourth thing we learn about light from John is that this light, this truth, it affects how we, how we, how we live, how we walk. You know, it's another way of saying truth is not something you can just kind of know in your head, but it doesn't actually, you know, make any 
difference to the way that you live your life. Because truth changes us. And God's truth is necessary for proper living and proper walking. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 105, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Truth should change the way we live. It, it, it changes the path that we're on. It changes our choices. It changes our behaviors. When we walk with God, we must live in obedience to his truth and follow that truth. And God, you know, John clearly says here, we either walk in darkness or we walk in light. He doesn't really leave that middle ground for us. We have to make a choice about how we are going to walk. And if we want to walk in the light, you have to know that it's going to change the way that we live. And then finally in this verse, the last thing we kind of learn about uh, truth and walking in the light is we learn that truth and light reveals to us the way of salvation. Uh, verse 9 of our passage says, that wonderful verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we're going to spend a lot of time here because, you know, the rest of our time this morning because as John is writing this letter, and even as you read through this passage, you realize that there was a real misunderstanding about sin and the nature of sin and salvation that was happening in the churches at the time that John was writing this letter to them. And if we're going to have a proper walk with God, one thing that we need to face, one thing we need to understand is the, the hard reality of sin in our lives. And sin, I mean, even talking about sin can make a lot of people uncomfortable. People, as a general rule, if you're at a party, people don't like talking about sin. Uh, they don't like being called sinners. Of course, I don't like being told I have food stuck in my teeth. It doesn't make it any less true. But that's why I love that John is actually so open about this, that John confronts sin directly. Because that's so important. Um, to be open and honest and direct about talking about sin and the reality of it in our lives. Um, to show you what I mean, there was a story about a, a Methodist preacher uh, who used to preach a lot on sin, preach boldly on sin. And he went to a new church, and after a few weeks at the new church, one of his church officers uh, came to him after one of his sermons to talk to him. And the officer said, you know, Pastor we just don't want you to talk so plainly about sin anymore. And we just feel that, you know, having you talk so much about sin, you know, some people might leave the church. Some people might get offended. Or worse, you know, maybe all this talk about sin will make people more easily become sinners. You can call it a mistake. You can call it an error. Call it a misjudgment. Do what you want. But, but don't talk so plainly about sin. Well, after listening to this guy for a brief moment, the minister just went off to a utility closet. And he brought back a small bottle of strychnine, which was labeled rat poison. And the pastor said, oh, I see what you want me to do. You want me to change the label. You want me to take this label off that says poison and replace it with something less offensive, like essence of peppermint. But then he said, let me ask, if I do that, how many lives do you think that's going to save? And the answer is none. Because the milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. As a community, we need to talk openly about sin. We need to warn people of its dangers. And sin is not something we whisper about to keep people from being upset. It's not something young boys should be just giggling about in the bathrooms. It's not something we, you know, can only acknowledge and, you know, 
dark rooms at closed meetings. Because the less we talk about sin as a church, the more power it has. Sin is something we should talk about openly and honestly and boldly and publicly in churches. And as a church, we need to take sin seriously. But that is exactly what wasn't happening in the churches that John was writing to. Because there were actually people in in the church at that time who were claiming that sin wasn't a problem. In fact, you can just look at the the arguments John is trying to refute as he's writing this. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Because some people wanted to walk in darkness. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Because there were some people saying we have no sin. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There was a lot of denial going on in those verses and in these churches. But you know, even today, we we often try to rationalize the presence of sin in our lives. There are still people, uh, people in churches who think that having sin in their life is is really not that big a deal. Um, There's some people who, you know, have a habitual sin that they struggle with that they've just kind of gotten used to and they sort of stop struggling about it in their life. They're like, well, I, got, I just have this one thing. There are people who think there's some acceptable sins like gossip or anger or little white lies or complaining or murmuring and they're like, you know what, we do that now. God's not really all that bothered by that stuff anymore. And there's people who think the list of sins in the Bible is, is sort of old-fashioned and that we should update it to, to better reflect the time. So, so they think, you know what, sin is actually, it's okay if you have enough public opinion on your side. And lately I've seen the rise of what I would call the victim mentality, where my sin isn't really my fault because I have all of these other struggles. And I'm sure God will overlook my sin because I, I really, I have it so hard. And I sin, but it's, not, it's, it's somebody else's fault. So it's not really on me. There's, there's, there's all kinds of ways that we can deceive ourselves. There's all kinds of ways that we can choose to be spiritually blind about the reality of sin in our life. And in John's day, the way that they were doing that uh, was they just, as I said, they boldly made the claim that they weren't actually, there was actually, this wasn't even sin at all. And you want to hear that clear. These weren't people who were refusing to be rebuked about their sin. They weren't people who were dealing with saying, you know, with unconfessed sin in their lives. These were people who were outright saying that sin wasn't even real. It wasn't a real thing for them. That there was no such thing as sin, so they could live any way they wanted. But here's a really important thing if you try to do that. And I think we need to see this. Because to remove the idea of sin from the church... It destroys the truth of Jesus himself. If a church doesn't talk about sin and acknowledge sin, then a church doesn't really understand its need for a savior. So instead of a community of the redeemed, instead of a community of sinners who are saved by grace, the church becomes sort of, it's like a Jesus appreciation center. You know, Jesus is great. We love that guy. He's so neat. And we see that kind of distortion happening, even even in churches today, you know, where where Jesus is celebrated in many churches, but he's actually celebrated for the wrong reasons. And I've read you this list before, but it's still true. There's, you know, those who who preach a prosperity gospel, saying that Jesus is your ticket to riches and wealth and success. 
There are those who teach a word of faith, saying that Jesus is there to serve you and fulfill your desires. There are those who teach a universalist gospel, saying that there is no hell and that Jesus is just like the happy heavenly bellhop whose only job is just welcoming everybody into heaven and making sure they feel comfortable. There are those who teach a politically correct gospel, saying Jesus is certainly one of the many choices that are out there for people to choose. There are those who preach a, you know, a pragmatic gospel, saying that Jesus is a self-help guru who will give you five steps to financial freedom and three ways to have a better marriage and 12 steps to overcome obstacles in your life. And then there's the therapeutic gospel that, you know, Jesus is, is he's, he's just a, he's a warm hug on a sad day, isn't he? He's just there to make you feel better about yourself. He's such a great guy. And in John's world at that time, their false teaching was that Jesus was just as he was a standard. He was an ideal. He was someone to look up to and aspire to be like one day. But he wasn't a savior. They didn't see him as someone that they needed to take care of the problem of sin in their lives. But again, listen to John's words. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our righteousness. If we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. To deny sin is to not deny our Savior and to call God a liar. But there is good news here. Because to accept Christ and to accept our need and to confess the reality and the depths of sin in our lives is to find forgiveness and righteousness from God. Because Jesus came to save us from sin. And again, sin, it, it's a very real problem. Uh, Romans 3 begins in verse 10. You can cover your ears if you're not brave. It is, just, it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 3.23 he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I'm not sure how you can hear that and still not realize that sin is real and it's a real problem. We sometimes call that level of sinfulness total depravity, where we are so lost in sin that there's nothing we can do about it to even help ourselves. But again, if that's the problem, here's the solution. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That while what we were powerless to do for ourselves, God did for us. We were helpless and God came to save us. We were lost and God came to find us. We were sick, God came to heal us. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God came to offer us life. Where we fell short and we did fall short, God made up the difference. And he didn't do it as an act of magic. He didn't do it just wave his wad and under a you know, religious abracadabra and poof, sin was gone. It wasn't the power of positive thinking or wish fulfillment for God, like, oh, sin, go away. No, God fixed it by sending Jesus, his only son, to die on the cross in our place. 
On the cross, Jesus took the wages of sin upon himself. He paid the price for our sin with his own life. So that through Christ and only through Christ, we can know salvation and find forgiveness and victory over sin. So walking in the light means acknowledging our sin and seeing our need for a Savior. Because God's truth also reveals to us the way of salvation. And that's not something we can ignore. And even though denial and deception of sin in our lives can be something very real, can be a very real problem, Jesus is still the problem, or it's still the, the solution for sin. So as we go from here in an effort to sort of walk and live out that truth, um, three things I want you to do that will help us, three applications to help us walk in the light. First, very simple, get honest about your sin. Uh, sin is not something we should be casual about. It's not something we can afford to just excuse away in our lives. It's not something we want to, you know, try to deceive ourselves about. As people of faith, we should have no place for sin in our lives. And if there is sin in your life today, confront it. Don't try to hide it. You know, don't let your sin stack up in some dark corner of your life. You know, I'll get to it later. Have the courage to confess it and confess it immediately. Because there's no better time to respond and deal with sin in your life than right now and repent. Um, Second thing we can do that I think is important is don't divide up your life into spiritual and secular categories, but walk fully in the light. You know, part of what the false teachers were doing in, in John's day, in John's churches, was saying, you know, the body was corrupt, you know, but the spirit was holy. So, you know, they had this divide. And there's like, well, you know, the body, you could do anything you want over there. As long as you sort of took care of this part of your life, you were fine. You know, just keep this part of your life holy and it's, it'll all be good. And I see the same thing happening, being done in many people's lives today. Where, you know, their life is like this little pie. And they divide, you know, you divide the pie into all the different slices of your life. And there's the little piece of where you work, that's your pie. And you got your home life, that's another piece of your pie. And, you know, over here I go to church, that's, that's maybe a pecan pie, because it's so, you know. And, but, you know, this, this piece of my, this is where I have my, you know, I hang out with my buddies, and this is where I go to the games, you know. And we think, you know, I'll keep these pieces of the pie holy, but these pieces, I kind of, you know, I'll do whatever I want with them. But understand, Jesus wants the whole pie. That's the point. Jesus, when he is in your life, he wants to affect every area, every part of your life. Walking in the truth means walking in the truth all the time. It means walking in the truth when you're at work. Walking in the truth when you're having a frustrating day on the golf course. You know, walking in the truth when you're out for a night of entertainment. Walking in the truth when you're on the internet and you're all alone. No matter what you're doing, where you are, you're walking in the truth of Christ. Faith is not just something we do on Sunday mornings. It's not just a certain part of our lives. Truth is something we walk in all of the time. And our call is to live out our faith in every area of our lives. Anything less is to just allow our lives to remain in darkness. And then finally this morning, I have saved the most important for last. Last application, and the most important thing of all, is make sure you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Um, He's not just the source of our truth, but he is the source of our salvation. And that's our hope. And you know, maybe you're here this morning and, you know, maybe it's been a little while since you read your Bible or you talked to God in prayer. Maybe you know you've drifted away from God. 
Maybe you know you're just not doing all you know you should be doing when it comes to your relationship with him. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've fallen, God is ready to show you mercy and offer you complete forgiveness today. He'll wipe the sake clean. I mean, hear John's words again. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is there. It's ours for the taking. And with his strength, we can also overcome those things in our lives, those temptations, those struggles, those sins. Because when Jesus goes to work in a life, he brings change. When he saves you, he also transforms you. He allows you to begin to walk in a new way, to live in a new way. We are new creations in Christ. Those who live in darkness now can walk in the light. And I've seen that change firsthand in in the lives of people. You know, I've seen criminals become God-fearing Christians. I feel, I've seen people who daily live, you know, bound and tortured by the sin in their life find forgiveness and relief. I've seen people trapped in bondage of addiction be set free. I've seen hard hearts become tender. I've seen relationships healed. I've seen the lost become found and the spiritually dead come to life. And it's all because of Jesus. And if you want that this morning, if you want to have that in your life, you can. I mean, all you have to do is admit that you're a sinner and that you need salvation, that sin is real and it's got a hold of you. And then believe in Jesus, that he was the perfect son of God who died on the cross to pay for your sins and was raised on the third day to new life. And ask Jesus, forgive me. Say, Jesus, I want to make that salvation that you have offered to everyone. I want to make it my own. And that's it. There's not really anything more than that. Repent, believe, and be saved. And then just let Jesus start to go work to, at work in your life. And he will help you. He'll help you know him more. And he'll help you begin to walk in the truth. Because Jesus brings us new hope. He brings new freedom. He brings new life. He brings us a new way to walk. As we walk in the light. And in closing, I just want to go back to that verse in 3 John 4, where John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You know, the greatest joy that we have as, par- as parents is, you know, to see our children prosper and live a healthy and happy life and, you know, to give their lives in the service of the Lord. That is joy for us. And as a pastor, there's nothing more I could pray for or hope for or wish for that gives me greater joy than knowing that people have found the freedom and the joy and the life and the hope that comes from living in the truth of Christ. And in finding that truth, knowing that they will walk in it and live it out all the days of their life. Let's pray. Father God, um, I mean, as your word says, your, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we we have looked at this idea that you are truth, that you are light, that you reveals what is. And that we want to walk in the light of that truth this morning. Knowing that you are the source of that truth. Knowing that that light is the basis of our relationship. Our relationship with you and our relationship with each other. And that, Lord, we want to walk in that and let that truth change us. So that we will walk in a new way. Not in darkness, but in light. And Lord, we know that that truth is also the path to salvation. As we acknowledge that we are lost without you, 
that, Lord, we are sinners, that we have, you know, bound in shame and bound to the flesh and bound to our old nature and in bondage to all of those things. But, Lord, you came to save us. You came to set us free, that Jesus died on the cross to set us free so that we can be forgiven. May we not overlook sin in our lives. And Lord, even now, I pray that you would search our hearts. Every person here listening to me, Lord, that, they, that you would speak to us. If there's some area in our lives right now that we need to surrender to you, that some sin that we need to confess to you, that Lord, we would do it even now. And that Lord, in doing so, we would hold fast to that promise that Lord, if we confess our sin, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, in being cleansed, I pray that you would then help us all to continue to walk in the light of your truth all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.